Good morning, everybody. Uh, the Old Testament reading is from Colossians 1, 15 to 20, and can be found on 1832 of the Church Bible. The supremacy of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen. Well, let's be still, shall we? Father, as we come to these words, we pray that you would help us, you would help me, that your spirit would be here, that he would help us become the people that you're calling us to be. Amen. Uh, I want to start this, uh, my final series with you, because I want to address the challenge that all of us face. Um, Perhaps as I'm leaving being an official man of the cloth, to re-enter teaching, I will need to think harder about how my faith shapes what I do. So we're about faith and how it affects, influences what we do. Because as a minister, people expect me to behave, speak, and listen in certain ways that they imagine a vicar would. I've got centuries of tradition and stereotypes to help me. But soon I'll be in the same boat as you, that somehow I'm going to have to make a difference to the lives of the people around me. There'll be no titles, no dog collars, not often one there anyway, sorry, and certainly not many robes. Just the things that I hold to be true shape the way I am amongst the people God places me with. And I think that's really important to hold on to that. God has placed us among people for his purposes. Might not be yours, but his. So how will I take, how will you take what we share together on a Sunday into the rest of our week? From Sunday to Monday, how will we bridge what has become known as the sacred and secular divide? There are things that are holy and all about God, and there are things that are secular about which God is clearly, I'm being facetious, uninterested. They're not really things he's bothered about. He's only mostly bothered about what we do in here. And that's the big block, isn't it? That Sunday-Monday bridge. Well, let's talk a little bit about how challenging Mondays can be. Um, Many of you uh, have retired, but you still have things to do. You're very busy. Um, Jill Prosser is doing everything uh, (laughs) since she retired, so well done. 
Uh, and every, lots of us have lots of things that we, we do, whether we're working or we're involved in volunteer groups and what have you. There are things that we do. But um, Mondays are normally challenging for a number of reasons, and the British are excellent at making Monday challenging. Um, Marmite conducted a survey that shows that the average person in the UK doesn't smile on a Monday until just after quarter past 11. Not even quarter past 11, just after. As if there's something about us that makes that important. Uh, another, another Monday study showed that the average person in the UK moans for 34 minutes on Monday. Some people are nodding. Um, <laughs> compared to 22 minutes all the other days. So, so Monday is particularly bad. People are 30% less productive. Those of you who are managers, bear that in mind. About half of them turn up late. Uh, and they only, on Monday, get this. Most workers only manage about three and a half hours of real work uh, throughout the day on a Monday. That's shocking, isn't it? Um, just for those of us who are built for comfort rather than speed, let's remind ourselves that we actually think we weigh more on a Monday than the rest of the week. We... <laughs> and um, there's, uh, sadly, um, the extra sleep we get on the weekend also makes us worse off. We're more grumpy on a Monday. I think that's terrible. Uh, a study showed that all uh, American people of all ages uh, feel least attractive on a Monday, and the best way to get over Monday is by watching TV, online shopping, buying chocolate, or planning a holiday. These are all ways of making somehow this distinction. So if it strikes me that the uh, gospel, the life of Christ, that we've been celebrating particularly thinking about it since Christmas, made real at Easter, that's going to be with us forever, it's got an uphill struggle from now on, hasn't it? Because what will it be like this time tomorrow? Jesus, the life he gave you, is going to not just fight with our own chaotic, rebellious nature, but he's only going to fight with us having to feel more tired, more stressed, more distracted by chocolate, and more grumpy. Well, what do we need to take away from that? How are we going to address that in our lives? What could we do? Uh, thank you for reading these uh, words, uh, Jane, from Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, or Colossians. Um, and they're really helpful for us, actually, because as we begin to think about our relationship with the rest of the world, um, they were written for a church that was tempted to go back to what they once knew. Perhaps it was some pagan gods, or, or it's a little bit fuzzy, actually. For, for one of Paul's letters, there's some, it's not particularly clear what the issues were. And if you're in a house group, I'll send you some notes to uh, throw, uh, sort of help throw some light on that. But basically, sort of Greco-Roman culture had lots and lots of gods. A god for this, and a god for that, and a god for the other. And you had to keep them all happy to keep your life in balance. And, you know, you wanted a God for sending your kids off to a good college. And you want a God for, for, sending, you know, for making your business successful. And all of these different things. Gods for different things. Different rituals, different demands. I think we can all probably identify how life sometimes pulls us. If I want to, be, if I want to have a successful career... I'm going to have to give a little more effort. I'm going to have to stay a little later, work the extra weekend now and again, or every weekend maybe. And we sort of recognise that. That's something that, that sort of pressure that the Colossians were facing. And what Paul is writing is this really helpful thing to remind them that as because they've become Christians, 
They have one God who's over all of this stuff. One God who loves them, who is over all of these things. And so these verses, um, really quite well known, quite useful truths to help equip us for what difference we can make in the world. Let's open up, if you haven't already, verse 15, the image of the invisible God firstborn over all creation. Can you just remind yourself, when you read through this again, please do, how often Paul uses all things, all things, everything. Everything is under his authority, under his lordship. So the, uh, I'm just going to f- have a quick look at these verses and break them into two groups. The first, the first sort of chunk, if you like, with sort of 15 to 18, is about Jesus' creative work. Jesus' creative work. Um, being in the image of God, he has all the fullness of God's character and life. I think that's really important. Um, we'll come to it in a bit more depth, but the whole you know, one of the things about creation is that it's, it's a work of love by, the, by God, the Trinitarian God, as an expression of, I want more. I want more of good things in the world. I want to see more good stuff uh, going on. That's his character. That's his goodness being shed abroad. And so we see that first off, Paul starts with how Jesus' nature and character are the same as the Father God. That that, that that essence is working through him in the same way as it does the Father. Then we've got this sort of slightly confusing phrase, uh, the firstborn. Let's not get too complicated about this. Paul is prioritizing, he is prioritizing Jesus' authority. Okay? Because we have it again later on, don't we? The firstborn from the dead. So in terms of creative order, Christ has authority over it because he is the one through whom it was created. And over the resurrection, the firstborn from the dead, he's the firstborn over it because he is the one who brought the resurrection into the world through the Father. The two of them have priority over those two things. We do not want to get sidetracked into discussions about where was Jesus before he was born. That's not how it works, and nobody knows. <laughs> Certainly not me. Anyway, right, so that's, the, that's one of the key things. Then we see again, all things were created in him, or as in James' translation, by him, through him. This idea that he was involved in, in the material, if you like, um, creation around us. It's the expression, the physical expression of what God wants to see. And then we have this, um, in verse 16, all things includes things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Now that's, that's quite significant, isn't it? We know for sure that the world isn't going the direction we would like it. We know that there are powers and systems, whether political or economic systems, that just don't seem to fit or match or work. We know that somehow those have gone wrong. But what Paul wants to reiterate here is that Christ is over all of these things. 
Now, some of us on Wednesdays have a little Bible study group, and a little while ago, we were going through the book of Daniel. Now, there's, there's a political, economic superpower in history that we can trace and pin down that was doing some things that were good and some things that were against God's people. But the message in Daniel is that God sets limits on how far they can go. Remember that phrase, time, two times, and half a time, was a sort of a theological number which helps us understand that things, get, things are bad, and then they get worse, and then they kind of lose their way. And it's, that seems to be the way that God works, that things get bad, and then he brings it to an end. We have to mix that with the sort of complicated ideas about our rebellious nature, free will, and the sovereignty of God. But somehow, in the muddle of all of that, Jesus overrules. He's the one who brings it, will bring things to conclusion, and has done in the past. We know that those empires that rose and did terrible things in history and some that are still doing that now, will come to an end. They will be called to account. Jesus is Lord over them. And if we want a little bit of guidance on that, then in Ephesians 3, a letter written to a church with similar sets of issues, Paul writes these really helpful words. The the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things was that the church would reveal the manifold wisdom of God so it would be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. It's Ephesians 3.10. And it shows us that in his lordship, Christ is bringing everything together so that all of creation, what we see and what's behind some veil that we don't see, would acknowledge that God had done what was right and good in his time. It's important to hold on to that. So the creative work of Christ is really exciting, isn't it? Because it actually means that we're somehow, we're in this. And we're meant to be in this. It's not accident or chance, it's we're meant to be. God's called us together. There's a lovely sort of argument, well, I wish things were different. Well, if things were different, you wouldn't be you. You might not even exist at all. Some things, you know, God has drawn all these things together. He's drawn all of us together this morning. That we've come together, that we are in this place together. So that means that God has got purpose. He's given us meaning and purpose together. That's really helpful. And it also means that the people that we are, in his wisdom, or maybe sense of humor, we don't know, he's made us all really different. And he's made us, some of us are sort of really good at some things and some of us are more good at, you know, better at other things and some of us are really concrete and some of us are really comedic and some of us are really patient and some of us just want it done right now. And all of that blend of our personalities and all of those things have been brought together to demonstrate to the heavenly places that God knows what he's doing because when these people are in tune with God, things of God happen on earth that's our prayer isn't it rosemary will read that prayer later your will be done on earth as in heaven so god has purposed us together he's created us put us in this place and that means that we're not randomly bopping around the universe we've got a part to play 
We've got a role. It's not an accident that we're here. And I find that really encouraging. The second half of these verses, particularly from verse 19, is about the redemptive work. That means the sort of the the saving work, the renewing work, the restoring work. Um, We've used all of those words when we looked at um, creation care. All of those things are about God bringing it together through Jesus Christ, bringing it together so that it is as good as it was most supposed to be when he made it the first time round. Now that gives us comfort too, doesn't it? The whole idea that God is bringing things together means he hasn't given up on us. He doesn't want to just leave us to it. Rather, he wants to bring it to what it was supposed to be. And he wants us to be part of what it was supposed to be. We're not excluded. He doesn't exclude us. We refuse to listen. We don't turn to him. He in the way that we should, but he is waiting for us to do so. Christ has done this amazing redemptive work. He was revealed at the cross. Jesus took the judgment for sin of the world on the cross in order to redeem it. Its beauty, its order, its people. He wanted to redeem. That's why he died on a cross, to restore all things. And so as his position here, as the firstborn from the dead, identifies he is the priority, he is the main agent, the only agent in this new creation. And that's stunning for the people of the time, and I think it's still probably a bit confusing for people today. Because at the end, you know, at the, in, when Paul was writing this, a lot of Jewish believers um, held on to the idea that, yeah, there would be a resurrection at the end. There would be a resurrection at the end and God would make all things good. But what we see here is that Jesus' resurrection some 2,000 years ago was the beginning of God making all things good. That was the act, that was the starting point for when he was going to begin it. That the resurrection has already, I'm not going to say begun because that's like a heresy that belongs to another group, but that redemptive work, the change in direction, the stemming of the tide... The battle over good and evil has already been decided. And that should give us heart as well. Well, so what? (laughs) There's a lot of stuff, isn't there, going on there. What actually does that help? How can that help me from today to tomorrow? And I can see one or two people going, yeah, show me some more. Show me. (laughs) In a minute, you'll be talking amongst yourselves about that. But... Let's think about this. No structures, political or economic, are independent of Christ's rule. We can pray for things. We can pray for change because he has a hand in what they do. That's a starting point, isn't it? We we might despair at what's going on in the world around us, but we can at least turn to somebody who is overruling it. We have seen, haven't we, answers to prayer in the situation in Ukraine. Things have not gone the ways that we thought. They haven't. Things have been different. Nations have turned to prayer. We have, you know, they can't operate independently. They may train their, try their things. But Christ is the one who is overall. The next thing, I suppose, is that evil will be exposed and judged. What is good will also emerge as it was planned, and it will overall. 
that we are heading on an upward trajectory, strangely though it may <laughs> strange though it may seem. But actually, that means my mindset might need to change. The way I think about things may need to change a bit. Because I know, you know, as much as I might want, you know, people to God to recognize the evil that people have done to, to me or to you or whatever, we might want God to sort of take, look, this person did this to me and this person did this to me. We also want to know, want to remind ourselves of the stuff that we've done to others. And this redemptive purpose means that good will be revealed. The work in Christ that he is doing in you is going to be revealed. He is conforming us to his likeness. But that also means we, have to need, we maybe need a mindset that says, rather than dwelling on what's been done to me, not, not just me, all of us, rather than having a mindset that says, that was, you know, how awful and God would you take vengeance, kind of leave it to him and think about how might God might deal with things differently. Because I want my sins to be forgiven, and Jesus has promised that, but he also asks me to forgive those around me. That's his redemptive work, isn't it? To take the rubbish and turn it into something that is instead resolved, straightened out, forgiven. He wants to bring his way of doing things into the world. I've talked about it before, about anger. You know, when we see something going wrong, anger's okay because we recognize something that offends us. It's what we do with it. And either we rejoice and we say, ha-ha, they're, they're, they're in trouble, let's watch what happens. Or we can even get involved and make it worse. We stoke the fire and add things to it, add rumors and gossips and comment and opinion and make the situation a whole lot worse. Or, like Christ, we can say, this is terrible. Somebody needs to do something. Somebody needs to show that there's a way forward, something better, something that's more godly, righteous, forgiving. And that's the third, that third path is what Christ calls us to. Another thing, so that's a really difficult thing to think. Yesterday, I spent three hours. That's, that's, that's hard enough to think about. You can stop listening there if you want, because that's quite a deep thought. Um, but yesterday, I spent three hours in a diocesan conference um, and one of the issues that came up was about um, creation care. And there was a motion in this meeting, it was the diocesan synod, um, and they were talking about how we want to have energy performance certificates for all of the vicarages and all of the church buildings in the diocese. That's an enormous job. There's like nearly 400 vicarages alone. It's an enormous job. And part of me was saying, this is an enormous amount of money, and part of me was saying... Yes, somebody's, somebody's doing that. Yeah, it's money, 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 money. Um, and part of me saying, that's an enormous amount of money. And part of me saying, well, why weren't we doing this earlier? Why do we have to be told? Why do we have to be reminded? Why does it need a special motion, a special group of people who've been elected to discuss this? It's, isn't our relationship with creation something that we ought to be aware of? So I thought that was quite interesting. But all of these things are because Christ has come into the world to make us, to give us the opportunity to be who he's called us to be. You know, this passage ends, doesn't it? These, these few verses end with this idea. To, he was pleased, God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him reconcile all things to himself. 
It's a work of God's love to do all of this. It's a work of God's love to step in. It's a work of God's love to take the brunt of it, to take the judgment. It's a work of God's love to give you, to empower you with his spirit to say, let's do things better or differently. So we have some hope. And I think that's what these passages are about. That these verses give us hope that actually while the world, when Monday morning might look terrifying for you, or whenever you start work or whatever it is you do in the week, Monday, the place of work, the place where you spend most of your time might not be a place that you enjoy, might not be a place that you experience those creative or redemptive works of God. But they can be, if we think about it the way Jesus did. Shall we pray for a moment? And then Jill, who can do everything, is going to put, is going to put a couple of questions for you to discuss on the screen. Okay? going to give you a couple of minutes just to think about them. Maybe just think about them by yourself. Let's just pray. Actually, Paul had this prayer. If you look backwards in verse 9 and 10, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Father, we thank you. You've called us to be your people. Thank you for bearing the, bearing the price for it. We pray that we would walk in manners worthy of you and that our work, our occupation, would be glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. couple of little questions for you to think about you've got a couple of minutes any of this has been helpful anything was new but most importantly what difference would having a look at these verses make to you tomorrow give you a couple of minutes to think about that